I am your host, Canary T. Robot, and we have another guest star who has done a lot, a lot of stuff. You've probably heard his name around town. Uh, Slime Beast, why don't you introduce yourself? Maybe go by, yeah, I know you go by a bunch of other names too, like that jerk, but. <laughs> <laughs> Golly G. Willikers, it sure is good to be here. I'm going to try, try not to curse. I'm probably going to fail. Yeah, if you do, it's fine. Okay. But yeah, my name is Slime Beast. I, as you've said, use different names for different things. I have a gaming channel under the name Tormental. I, you know, have done other stuff under many other names. People know me as Old Scratch, Beelzebub, <laughs> Lucifer. But um, under the name Slime Beast, I write basically creepypastas, short horror fiction on the web, and, you know, different stuff like that. Uh, well, can you list some of your stories that you've written? Give me your whole resume, shall you? Uh, okay. What to do with human baby. <laughs> Betting on horses. Uh, your guide to lesser known horsemen. Uh, <laughs> abandoned by Disney, funny mouth, lost episodes. There you go. That's, nice. that's the three. And then, that people know. yeah, of course. And then, uh, not only that, you've, um, had a much wider history that not many people know of, like in video games and, uh, if I, if I recall comic books. A much wider history? How dare Our- you? Wider. Yes, I'm trying to make fun of your weight here. Ah, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've basically dabbled in pretty much anything creative that I could get my hands on, games, comics, you know, of course, writing, you know, basically anything where there's, like, a challenge to make something, I try to make something. Okay, now, um, what was the first thing you've done? Like, uh, what was was your first start? Like, was it video games? Um, oh, how far back can you go? Yeah, I mean, if we're not talking about, like, childhood and teen years, I would say that uh, when I was about 17 or 18, I helped with a friend take over a uh, graphical online game, which was, like, one of the first multiplayer games on the internet that had graphics. What, what, what's the name of that one? Uh, it was called Dragon Spires. Oh, cool. And unlike... Um, Games like Doom and things like that that, you know, of course, you know, way predated that. It wasn't something like where you connected with a friend, you know, or connected to a server, you know, to play with like four people. You know, this was like basically the starting point where they said, what if we made a MUD, you know, like a text game on the Internet, but put graphics in? So, you know, it was just multiplayer. Anybody anybody could connect to the central server, et cetera, and so forth. It was sort of like the granddaddy of all the uh, MMORPGs that you see today. Oh, wow. And how did you, uh, just a friend invited you on, or how'd that happen? Um, basically, we had both played the game uh, before we took it over, and I had made, like, graphics for it in terms of, like, patches, you know, like, custom, you know, graphics and things like that. And he was a programmer, and so when they basically abandoned the project, uh, he talked to the people who had created it and got them to agree to let him take over, and he contacted me and said, would you like to do artwork for the actual game? So Now, um, a lot of what you've done is through artwork. Do you have formal training in that, or uh, 
how did you uh, start learning how to do graphics and such like that? Um, I'm basically self-taught. I think the only oh, wow. thing, yeah, the only thing, <laughs> I, it took a very long time, <laughs> much longer than if I had been trained. But um, the only thing I really learned in school was when I, you know, took like a, co- a community college course, and you know, even then I had to teach myself because the, you know, professor was never there. But oh, um, geez. yeah. So that was where I learned to use use like Illustrator and Photoshop. So I mean that was that's probably like the entire extent of my you know education using you know computer technology for artwork and things like that. Now, um, what sort of systems do you have you used, or do you know how to use? Um, systems as in like a graph. Gra- <laughs> I know you said like a, a Photoshop and Illustrator, oh, yeah. but um, did you do you use uh, other stuff for graphics like Flash or? Um, no, basically I use Photoshop. Uh, I think it's I think it's 5.0 or 4.0 from late 90s. Mm-hmm. Never updated it. And <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Shop Pro, uh, which is also 4 or 5.0 from the same era for pixel art. So you know Photoshop just for manipulating images or you know applying layers and things like that to logos or graphics and you know then Paintshop Pro for the pixel stuff. Nice. That's about it. <laughs> now, uh, we- and Illustrator, of course, as I say, you know, for vector stuff, like, you know, if I have to create a logo from scratch or whatever. Now, uh, what uh, video games in, have you worked on or developed? Uh, that's a very, it's a short but interesting list. Because <laughs> aside from Dragon Spires, um, there was a time period where, and this was like in the early days of... Not necessarily the early days of the internet, but the early days of it becoming accessible to everybody, like when AOL, you know, was first starting to put their CDs in supermarkets and everything, oh, you know, to take. And, you yeah, know. I remember um, that. <laughs> back in the bad days of the internet, um, I worked on a bunch of very small projects probably nobody has ever heard of or, you know, even remembers, like, uh, Toilet Simulator. <laughs> and oh my Try to Survive in Minus 400 Degrees Wearing Nothing But Socks. And <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's just random, random things. That was back when, you know, the the entire thing was just you know try to get somebody to download your .exe file from the millions of random places people are going to upload it, and it's like, you know, the the minus four hundred degrees game. It would just say try to survive in minus four hundred degrees wearing nothing but socks, and when you clicked start, it would say game over. <laughs> that was the entire game. <laughs> So it was, it's basically the 90s equivalent of a Rickroll. Right, basically. And it's, you know, that it's that whole thing of, like, shareware and, you know, mm-hmm. all the crazy little programs that came out. Like, there was one, I didn't work on this, but it, I always thought it was funny, where it said, uh, you download this program and, you know, use it to order a free cup holder. Wait. And so you'd click the button and it would open your disk drive <laughs> <laughs> for you to place your cup in. <laughs> Uh, just cr- crazy things like that. But I also, I don't know if you're familiar with Jack Thompson um, at all. He's like an anti-video gaming advocate, you know, back in the day. I would say maybe early to mid-2000s. And uh, he, like, are you familiar with Anita Sarkeesian? I'm not going to get political. I'm just going to... No, sadly. Oh, okay. I, just letting you know, my video game knowledge just started recently. Okay. Er- fairly recently. 
Well, um, that's probably a good thing because then for anybody out there who doesn't know, I'll have to explain everything. So exactly. for them, you know. I, I'm like the uh, <laughs> I'm like the protagonist in this. That there you go. Doesn't know what's going on, and I have to introduce this w- world of uh, computers and technology to everybody. So she's a small town girl who's abducted into a plan beyond her understanding. But yeah, um. <laughs> Jack Thompson was basically someone who, you know, was a lawyer who tried to sue to get, you know, video games, uh, you know, violent video games out of stores and you know, different things like that. But um, he made a, a description of a game he wanted to see made where the character would go around shooting and killing game developers. And he said, no one will ever make this game because they know it will cause violence against them. And if anybody makes this, I'll donate $10,000 to charity. So someone else I knew at the time, he got together a group of people, myself included, to create the game from his design, and we put it up, and he never paid the charity. <laughs> what a jerk. And that was called I'm Okay, which was a murder simulator. Oh my god. <laughs> As I said, a short but strange list. I also have you know worked on, uh, right now, the only thing that still survives, other than, of course, you know if you can find the downloads of those games somewhere... Uh, the only thing that survives right now is Hell Rising, which is a browser-based text game about surviving a vampire and zombie apocalypse. Now, that's, that's all very random things. Now, did you develop <laughs> most of these on your own, or did you work together with other people, or how did that? Yeah, it's always me and a programmer, because basically all I can do is like artwork, uh, concepts, you know, different things like that. With Hell Rising being a text-based game. Um, I go into, like, an administrator panel and, you know, use it to create different items and enemies in the game and things like that. But it's always me and a programmer, because I don't program. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then, uh, now, my question is, how did, did that, you've gone from video games to suddenly comic books, or wh- well, what have you done with, or graphic novels? I don't know what you would call it nowadays. Either one is fine. Graphic people are like, it's a graphic novel, not a comic book, and it's like, eh. I, I mean, I, I know the difference, but it's just, <laughs> I, I know some people are, sometimes I'll accidentally call it a comic book, and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's a big old comic book with more pages. Come on. <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess video games and comics and things have been my interest since I was young. So really, at all during the same time, I've been trying to get into games, get into comics, things like that. And basically the comic stuff, I sort of worked until I got my work published. And then after I got it published, I realized this isn't a field that I really want to be involved in. <laughs> Why? What happened, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, it's crazy. And if you're if you're writing, which is what I was doing you know, for the whole thing, um, if you're writing, it's extra trouble because you have to... If you're going into comics like indie mm-hmm. and, you know, big companies will not take you in or look at your work unless you're somebody who's already known because they want, you know, basically your fans to come by the comic. So they want you to have already fans existing, usually. Um, if you're the writer, you have to find the artist that you're going to work with. In a lot of cases, you have to pay them yourself uh, to do, you know, like a pitch, you know, or whatever pages, you know, etc., uh, you have to usually find the colorist, you know, maybe an inker if the artist doesn't do it. You know, usually uh, a letterer if you can't do it yourself. So basically you're like trying to assemble the entire garage band yourself. And 
not only are you trying to assemble the band, but also usually, as I say, you have to be the one paying everybody. You know, not the gig, you know, <laughs> you know, the, not the venue. You know, usually you're the one, you know, putting stuff out. And it just is so hard to get people to uh, stick to what they say they'll do. So there's a lot of effort that goes into making a... Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say comic book. Right. Into making a comic book than just, right. I'm just going to draw it myself. There's like right. A I mean, you, some people can do that and more power to them, but, you know, if you're just writing it, <laughs> you know, you're going to have to basically find everybody because the artist, the colorist, the inker, the letterer, you know, the editor, if you hire one yourself, you know, those are all people who, you know, people come to them to hire them. Mm-hmm. Basically, nobody goes to hire a writer in comics. The writer is the guy who's always looking for people. Good- you know, he's always the hiree, or not hiree, hirer. But yeah. Okay. And oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, um, uh, I mean, when you gather all these people together, is this before you even approach a publisher, or yep, basically? I mean, if you can do it either way, but a publisher is basically going to want to see proof of concept, you know. Mm-hmm. And usually if, you know, in times where I did get, and because this is all from, you know, trial and error, times when I did get a publisher interested before I had a team, I then had, you know, so much trouble trying to find a team that it would be like a year, two years later, and the, you know, publisher eventually just forgets who you are. Or, you know, the person you spoke to doesn't work there anymore. You know, that type of thing. So really, you know, the main thing is to get your project together and then, you know, contact somebody. And when you, you mean... Wanna, just be ready, you know. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say, and when you mean project together, do you mean like a full layout or just the concept or when, when uh, this is for anyone who is looking to become a uh, comic book artist or writer, would you start out by showing the concept to the publisher or how, when would, what is the steps for that? Um, basically, it can go either way. See, comics, you know, indie comics are so like scatterbrained in terms of what, you know, one person may want one thing, another person may want another, you know, it differs so much from publisher to publisher. Um, I would suggest that people have, if they're doing like a one-shot graphic novel or a one-shot comic book, you know, not like an ongoing series, which a lot of publishers don't want ongoing series, but um, if you're doing a one-shot thing, I would suggest having it entirely complete before you get to publishers. Because, as I say, a lot of times, even if you have, like, the pitch ready and the artist has done, like, you know, pages to show off what the comic will be like, you know, a lot of times you'll get the publisher's permission or, you know, the green light to go ahead. And then, you know, it'll be, like, months later and you're contacting the artist, please write me back. Where are the pages? You know, it's five days past the deadline of when the publisher wanted them. When, you know, please, you know, contact me. (laughs) So, you know, I would suggest just having everything done first you know, before you get tied in with anybody expecting your work. Because that way you can't, you know, fail out by that. Okay, that's good to know. Um, (laughs) No, this is fascinating to me because I I understand um, bits and pieces about, um, I mean, the acting world and getting an agent and such like that, that to hear that I don't know much about the comic book or graphic novel side for agencies. So it's interesting Mm. to hear this. there's then, lots of horror stories about people, you know. Oh God, yeah. I paying think. somebody for work and the person just keeps the money and they never hear from them again, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then I think one of the tough things is finding the right indie uh, publisher that is not, is legitimate and not just like 
Right. Because the problem is a lot of them, as I say, they want that built-in audience. You know, uh, they want you to already be famous. One of the graphic novels I published was based on the 1920s Nosferatu film. And the only reason I got that in the door was because I was able to convince the publisher, you know, look, this is a famous film. You know, this is a monster. Everybody knows. You know, everybody, you know, basically knows the image of the Nosferatu character, even if they don't know who it is. You know, they know the face. And, you know, I was able to convince them that it had a built-in audience. And that's, you know, basically the only reason they let it in the door was because they figured, okay, good, you know, this will bring customers to us. Because indie publishers are notoriously bad about not advertising your work to anybody. So, you know, you have to basically, and this is usually just the writer, <laughs> you know, usually you have to deliver the entire audience to the comic. So it's it's just crazy. Now, um, another question I have, now, have you only worked with comic book publishers? Have you worked with, like, um, let's say, literary publishers or agents or anything like that before? Uh, no. I The only publisher I ever contacted... Um, they set me up for a meeting on a certain day, and when I told them I couldn't make it, they said, you know, well, this is very unprofessional, and, you know, we're not interested anymore. So I was like, hey, well, fuck you. I'm, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was like, fine, oh, darn. It's oh, fine. shucks. Shame on you. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, actually, and okay, so what made you decide to write online? I mean, did you know about the creepypasta world before posting, or how did – I mean, how did that come about? I knew basically the, like, underpinnings of the creepypasta community. Like, I had seen, you know, way back in the day, I guess, when uh, Slenderman was first being posted up on Something Awful, you know, I was in, like, an IRC chat at that point, and, you know, I was, like, regular there, and somebody linked the thread, and they were like, you know, look at what's being posted about, you know, these pictures and everything. And so, at that point, I was like, oh, that's, you know, freaky. That's, you know, spooky, and I just closed that out and I, you know, never really thought about it again, you know, saw the picture of Jeff the killer somewhere and I was like, oh, that's a interesting picture, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better term, you know, never really thought of it again. I, you know, looked at the SCP foundation, you know, looked at a couple things and just closed it out, you know, so I've basically have seen all the different underpinnings of creepypasta and of the like larger horror fiction community. And it wasn't until, like, I think 2012 that I realized, oh, wait, these things are all part of that one big community. <laughs> you know, this is actually something called a certain thing. You know, it's like an umbrella term for a lot of different, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started, you know, getting into the idea of, well, you know, I could write some stuff like this maybe. And, you know, I don't know. Because the... I had written short stories before and, you know, short horror stories, different things like that. But not anything, you know, it's like I said, that thing of if there's a challenge to create something, I'll just try to create it. So. Now, what was the first story you wrote? Was that Abandoned by Disney, or was it something else? Uh, I could actually look that up really quick, but I think it was... I think it might have been Funny Mouth. Huh. And let me just... I know this is thrilling. It's either Funny Mouth or Watch for Willie, <laughs> which is about a knockoff Where's Waldo poster. <laughs> and now, uh, was that the... Uh, were these stories were the thing that spanned your popularity so you could start a website and start your own um, YouTube channel? Or did did you – was it gained more from, like, your comic books? Or what was the time – when was it, like, the peak that you realized, okay, I I could actually get a fan base and 
actually start doing stuff with this? Well, I had a, a website for a long time called doompuppet.com, and that was the u- username I was using for a long time. Uh, but I basically, when the creepypasta stuff started to happen, you know, and I saw, like, kind of this divergence from the old stuff I was doing, which was, you know, like I said, like the Dragon Spires type stuff, the mini games, you know, uh, different things like that, which I had hosted on doompuppet.com. You know, when I saw that divergence and saw that what I was doing was changing, I thought, well, you know, I really should, you know, come up with something different to put this under so it's not, you know, like a continuation of something completely unrelated. And, you know, that's when I came up with, you know, I looked for what domain names were available Mm-hmm. And that's basically what I based my name on, you know, because SlimeBeast.com was available. So <laughs> this sounds <laughs> like an that's interesting a name. Sorted story. Yeah, I'm like, you know, searching on the website, you know, the uh, domain name sites, and I'm going Beast Brain, no, Monster Face, you know, no, <laughs> you know, just random things. Slime Beast. Okay, that's available. That's who I'll be. So that's how I came about, just yeah. a randomizer. <laughs> and you know, for, uh, Funny Mouth was the first story. I okay. Just made that up. That's good to in know. In November 23rd, 2012. Wow. <laughs> that doesn't seem too long ago, actually. Yeah. Okay, so... It's um, not long ago. We're not all dying slowly. We're not, really. <laughs> okay, and then uh, when did you start your uh, YouTube channel, uh, Tormental? Uh, it. I think it's a little over two years ago. Oh. Because um, what happened was, I, you know... Up until, I think, 2013, 2014, I had been uh, using prime. My sole computer was a 2002 Gateway, mm-hmm. and it had a 20, 28.8K per second dial-up modem. So I had not experienced YouTube. Mm-hmm. I had not experienced, you know, like, new online gaming. I was restricted to things, you know, from, like, 2001 and previous, you know? Um, wow, so once I got... a lot of old technology. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. But, yeah. you know, once I got, um, that's why I'm still stuck using old Photoshop and old PaintShop Pro is like, I got so sad in that for like a decade. <laughs> but, um, once I got, you know, a new laptop and I could access certain things I saw, like, I was interested in seeing what, you know, new games were like, basically. And the best way to do that was to look at Let's Play channels, you know, where people were playing the games. Mm-hmm. And... Like I said, that thing about, you know, if there's something creative to do that's like a challenge, I want to do it. So I just looked at that and I said, I could do this. <laughs> I could I could play games and, you know, just talk and be stupid. <laughs> I not do that. I could, pretend, I could pretend to care about things. <laughs> I can pretend that I actually have a personality. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I sort of bring to that... This is this wasn't what I started out with, but eventually I kind of got into the groove, you know, of doing the gaming channel. I bring in sort of like that, um, if you've ever seen Craig Ferguson back when he hosted, like, that Late Late Show, mm-hmm. where he would just say, you know, you know, that he was a late night douchebag and he didn't, you know, nobody really was watching and, you know, who cares anyway and none of this matters. You know, that was like his, you know, way of doing everything. And I always liked that because I was like, you know what? He's right. A lot of these, you know, celebrity interviews and different skits and stuff like that, you know, really they don't matter and you could just do anything. So, you know, I sort of brought that to my YouTube channel and I'm always like, you know, I'm just a YouTube douchebag and <laughs> let's see what game I'm going to play today and who cares? You, you know, this doesn't matter in your life. Let's just have fun, you know. <laughs> so, I'm not doing any big, big 
great thing in life. Let's just let's just make a stupid video. But yeah. Now with all these different things going on um, and all the things that you've accomplished, what what is like a normal daily li- uh, what is a day in the life of Slime Beast like in terms of like your work? I don't need to hear like, well, I woke up, I got <laughs> breakfast. So you don't want any purple pros, is what you're saying? Please, God, no. <laughs> um, do you want you want the truth, or do you want something that sounds good? Truth. Okay. Honestly, just be. I'd rather hear honesty than bullshit. All right. Wake up at noon. Uh, check my email. Check my messages. Make sure there's nothing I missed overnight, or over morning and <laughs> whatever point I'm sleeping. Um. Work on various projects, you know, make sure that nothing's exploding. And, you know, if it's, if I need videos for my channel, record videos for my channel. If I have an idea for a story, write an idea for a story. And, you know, usually I'm doing that until like maybe four in the morning. Oh, wow. And at that point I turn in and I wake up at, you know, noon the next day. And I do have a work at home job, which makes it, you know, makes it so I'm able to do that, which is nice. Even if the job sucks, you know, the time I get to work on other stuff is, you know, a a benefit. (laughs) Do you get paid for any of your projects or are you getting any income or? Um, The YouTube channel I make and, you know, you want honesty, I'll give you honesty. The YouTube channel I make about 100 to 150 dollars a month, which Mm -hmm. is nice. And I have a Patreon, I think is that like 40 something a month. And then I do uh, pixel art for hire, uh, which is, you know, it varies in that regard because if I sort of am friends with the guy I'm working for, so I, you know, will undercharge him if I don't think, you know, something was a lot of work on something I had to do, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's usually a couple hundred dollars. So, you know, it does, you know, pay a certain amount. It could always be better. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> but, I mean, it's good to know. Um, I mean, so... so- I just wanted to. I don't. I don't want to interrupt. But I just Go realized I should say. You know that if anybody is listening this, to this who does want to start like a YouTube channel, you know that is pretty much what you can expect. Uh, people don't really make a living at it until they get to like a couple hundred thousand subscribers. So up until that point, you're going to be making you know a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> so. Well, it's it, it, that's the thing that the people have always said. Like, yeah, the internet is now the wild, wild west, and you can either make it big or go home. It's now the new Las Vegas of. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let it ride. Yeah. <laughs> and if you do start a YouTube channel, don't sign with a partner network and try to keep from selling out because people can, you know, like in terms of, you know, somebody says, would you like to, you know, advertise our adult underwear on your channel? You know, we'll pay you a certain <laughs> amount. You know, people can sense that. And if you're a small YouTuber, you know, that's going to cost you, you know, subscribers because large YouTubers can do that because they have millions upon millions of people. And if they lose a couple hundred, there's no big deal. But, you know, people can smell if you're selling out, you know, and the partner networks don't do anything for you. Uh, all they do is take a, you know, sliver of your ad revenue and they don't actually promote you because there's no point in growing your channel. They would rather just take a sliver of money from a thousand small channels. So then actually work to promote everybody, you know, up to, like, huge standards. So that would be my advice. Don't join a partner network and be careful, you know, how far you go for money. 
<laughs> That's actually really good advice, I must say. Um, now, uh, what about? Do you have any advice for the writers out there, perhaps, or the? Because again, you you do so much that it's hard for me to say. <laughs> so, what do you recommend for this? I, I mean, among like the twenty million other things that you have done. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, for I think in terms of comics, I know, I'll get you know I'll do comics and just regular normal writing, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But um, for comics, I remember a very good piece of advice that at the time seemed like really bad advice to me. And I forget who it was that said it, so that's a you know real shame, but they asked him, he's a famous comic author, and they asked him, you know, what is your advice for aspiring comic authors? And his advice was, don't. <laughs> and so my advice would be, like, with a little asterisk, I would say don't with an asterisk, and I would put down at the bottom, unless you really are willing to put in two, three, five years, you know, trying to get, you know, your foot in the door. But, um, if, but I feel like that's the case for any type of creative yeah. job, like whether you want to be an actor, whether right. you want to be a YouTuber, you got to realize if you really want this, you got to put in the effort. Right. Because the thing is with, with comics, you know, there's no, if you want to get a comic published, you know, there's no working your way up to like a better paying gig. Like you don't start out, you know, I'll just write, you know, this, you know, indie comic for you know, a low amount of pay, and then hopefully I'll get promoted to writing this better indie comic, and then hopefully I'll get promoted to writing a big indie comic. You know, there's no, like, working your in on steps. You know, it basically is you spend however much time, you know, some people make it in faster. You know, some people never make it in. But um, you spend the time getting in uh, completely unpaid for your, you know, bit your work that you're doing on comics. Mm-hmm. So you don't get paid until you get in the door, and usually... Uh, they don't pay you except for a cut of the profits. So if your comic makes profit, they give you a percentage of that. If it doesn't make profit, you don't get paid at all. So, you know, that's, like like I say, you know, you have to really be wor- willing to work for two, three, five years, not only hard, but probably unpaid. Probably paying out money, you know, to hire artists and to, you know, do different things like that. And a lot of people do think that, you know, here's my idea, it's a great idea, and once people see it, they're going to, you know, go crazy and want to publish it. But, you know, you have to realize that, you know, it's not going to be your idea, it's going to be who you talk to, who you meet, who you know, uh, what publishers you get on the good side of, and, you know, then you'll be able to try to get into things, because, you know, there's not really much emphasis put on ideas so much as who you are. (laughs) And then what what do you recommend for someone who is trying, like, uh, how should they, I'm trying to word this correctly, because one of the things uh, uh, I spoke with, uh, did an interview with David, and he suggested, he said branding and networking has helped him quite a bit, like actually coming up with an idea for your Right. Like, you know, in terms of making sure that your name is recognized and, you know, things mm-hmm. like that in terms of branding, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, um, it's important to, because as I said, you know, everybody wants you to bring the audience to them. They don't want to have to advertise and bring an audience to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, creating a brand around yourself or, you know, getting recognized and, you know, things like that are, you know, integral to that type of thing. But I would also say that, 
you know, in creating it, this kind of uh, positive energy around yourself, it's important not to get taken advantage of. Because a lot of indie publishers will talk to you and they'll say, you know, you're a really great writer. You know, we don't really have any slot for what you're doing now, but, you know, we really appreciate your writing talent. Would you be willing to look at these other scripts, you know, that we're producing and go over them and see if you see anything that you think should be changed? And so in that moment, you just transferred from somebody submitting their work to a publisher into a free editor for them. And so that's the thing where, you know, you're trying to get in these people's good graces, but you have to, you know, be careful that you don't get stuck as a unpaid employee of the company, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it is important to make sure that your brand is great, but are, you know, positive in the eyes of the people who want to hire you. But, you know, by that same token, you know, make sure that you're wary because, you know, what will happen is before you started looking at the scripts for them, there was somebody else who was looking at the scripts for them. And where's that guy? You know, he never got his comic published. You know, he just stopped doing it when he saw that they weren't doing anything, and then they, you know, found the next guy to do it. So, you know, it's it's important not to, you know, be too nice <laughs> and too ingratiating and too, you know, willing to do things, you know, for other people, you know, to the point where you just spend your time doing that instead of working on what you love, you know. Yeah. All right. I think uh, it's about time to wrap this up. You got any... Uh... Last minute advice or uh, anything? My, I guess since I didn't get to the writing uh, creepypasta or short horror stories, oh, or short yeah. stories I will just say as my wrap-up thing, uh, do it is the most important thing, to actually do it, not just think about it, not just plan to do it. Actually just do it. Actually put it out there and ignore anybody who's hateful about it. You know, Don't take to heart anything anybody says if they're telling you to stop writing. If they're saying this is bad, you should be, feel bad, you know, never write again, you know, ignore them. They're a loser, <laughs> you know, continue to grow as an author. Even if your story is crap, you know, eventually you're going to write things that are not crap. So, you know, don't, don't give up. Just do it. Keep doing it. Write until you explode. That's it. No, I've, that's something I've always heard from writers uh, is, you know, keep practicing. The more you write, the better you will get. And the more right. you will learn. And it, you know, it's not even, you know, cause like, I don't, I'll digress a little bit and then I'll shut up. Go ahead. You know, the thing with practicing too is you don't even have to try to, uh, purposefully and consciously get better. You know, you don't have to sit there and, you know, make a chore of it. And like, you know, it's not like violin practice where there's a perfect point at which you stop and say, now you are a good violin player. You know, you just write the stories, see what you would change, see what other people say, take that on board or ignore it as per your, you know, particular whims about what makes you happy as an author. And, you know, you don't really even need to practice in terms of reaching a goal, you know, just just keep doing it and just keep trying to make yourself happier and happier about what you're doing. That's, that's it. Aww. <laughs> that's such good advice. Um, where can we find you? It's time for the plugs. Uh, I would prefer that you don't find me. I'm a private person. No. Um, slimebeast.com is basically everything I do is linked there somewhere. So that's what I give people. Nice. My YouTube channels, everything. Just, just go to that website and you'll find everything. Slimebeast.com for all your horror needs. <laughs> Thank you. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BendUNetwork.com.